2: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X governance. Learn more at ibm.com/governance.
0: IBM. Let's create. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts season two of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to
4: Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Christian Sager. Hey, how many times, like, when you're just walking around the city, we live in Atlanta, like, you're at a park, or you're just walking around, maybe with your
1: son or something mm-hmm. like that, do you see just these utterly bizarre mushrooms? Oh, yes, yeah. I, I, this is something I love about living in Atlanta, or at least the, the slice of Atlanta I live in, cause yeah. there's, there's plenty of, uh, you know, plenty of vegetation around, plenty of, uh, you know, park areas, and then after a rain, typically, is when you see these, these strange yeah. fungal bodies burst up out of the ground, and take on weird, bizarre shapes. In fact, um, it's something that I've, I've loved doing, uh, with, with my son, uh, who's four now, but yeah. for, for, for years now, when we're going to the park and all, if we see some sort of a weird mushroom, I we'll go, Oh, let's look at this weird mushroom. And, uh, and so he'll point them out and will go, Oh, there's a weird mushroom over here. Let's go look at it. And you guys try to figure out what it is. Like you take pictures and then yeah. back home, you try to like match it to a database or something like that. Yeah. You know, you just do a, do a search. For hey, what kind of mushroom looks like a weird phallus? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and in fact, that mushroom, which frequently pops up in our in our own yard, yeah. uh, out of the the mulch is one that's uh called Mutinus uh, mutinus uh caninus or dog stinkhorn. Okay, yeah. Because it supposedly looks like a dog phallus and it <laughs> smells really awful. Oh, oh yeah. that's the worst image. I
4: I don't know what a dog stinkhorn looks like, but I I'm can do a image the dog lipstick. Ugh. Yeah, that's the worst. Well, uh yeah, cuz you know, I'm from the Northeast originally and man, the mushrooms down here are Bonkers, like, <laughs> like, uh, I, so some of our Facebook followers might remember this, but I posted to our Facebook page maybe six months ago, took my dog, uh, to the dog park and it was right after a rain, like you described, mm-hmm. maybe a day. And there was this totally bizarre thing growing up out of the ground. It didn't even look like a mushroom. It looked like. The egg from Alien. Ha. And it looked like the egg had opened. Uh-huh. Um and it was red on the inside. And I took so I took a picture of it and I was like, well, who better to answer what this thing is than our Facebook followers? Mm-hmm. So I uploaded the picture and said, Does anybody know what this is? And they did. Somebody uh figured it out. It's the Devil's Finger Fungus. That's Ooh. what it's called. And like not a month later, Nerdist did like a like a feature on their site on the Devil's Finger Fungus and how it looks exactly like a xenomorph egg. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I don't, I, this looks like some alien thing that's in the dog park. I don't want my dog around it. What, what is this thing? You know? <laughs> um, so I was a little worried at first, but it turns out it's relatively
1: harmless. Yeah. There's another one that I can't remember what this one is called, but I see it in our yard sometimes where it's, it's as if there is an underworld. Okay. And occasionally they use caulking to, to fill, to fill in holes yeah. <laughs> between our world and theirs. Oh, yeah. And it kind of puffs this out in like a polyurethane
4: uh, bubble. Yeah. I know yeah. exactly which one you're talking about.
1: I've seen that one before, uh, like on the sidewalk near where I live. Yeah. Now, now tell me this, uh, you're a dog owner. I am not. Yeah. yeah. Um, in, in various neighborhood threads, uh, that I've seen about weird mushrooms. Yeah. I've seen some people react with wonder and awe and uh, occasionally, you know, uh, uh, nausea. Yeah. But uh, other people, particularly a few dog owners, are like, oh, I hate those mushrooms. Uh, how can uh, I get rid of them? Because yeah. there's this fear, and I don't know to what extent it's, un- it's founded or unfounded, but uh, they're afraid their dog is going to eat the mushrooms, yep. which of course can have disastrous consequences. My wife uh, worries about that
4: constantly. Mm-hmm. Every day when she gets home, she does a, a walk through the yard and picks every single mushroom up that's growing in the yard so that our dogs won't eat them. Okay, um, We have a lot of mushrooms, actually, because we have a really big... Well, you've been over to my place before. My front yard has a really big old tree. Uh, yeah. uh, and uh, our uh, landlord is actually an arborist. And so he he told us, look, this tree is really old. In a couple of years, we're going to have to take it down because like, uh, the, the roots are rotting. And the way you can tell is because of the way that these, uh, bizarrely huge mushrooms are growing up all around the tree.
1: Mm-hmm. And so they're feeding on the rot of the yeah, decay down there. Yeah, know? exactly. Because of course, the uh, fungi and mushrooms are, are excellent, uh, decomposers. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That, I mean, that's how they
4: get by, right? Um, and. Uh, so you know, at first I was a little worried, and I said, "Well, hey, you know, you're the arborist. Is this cool for my dogs to be around?" He said it was fine. Uh, but my wife still worries. So yeah, uh, she's she always cleans up that stuff. And are are you talking about like NextDoor dot com or like those uh, you know, those like message boards? Oh, are, like, this is just like a Facebook uh, oh, okay. group, you know? Yeah, because there's a lot of that chatter on our neighbor. Well, you mm. and I live in a fairly close proximity to one another, so maybe it's the same neighborhood board. But yeah, there's concern about those mushrooms. I haven't heard anything about, like, watch out for this one. It's poisonous. But one of the things that's fascinating about Atlanta is that there's so many fungal spores flying around mm-hmm. that you get these really bizarre kind of off-the-wall mushrooms that you wouldn't normally see, you know, um, especially in a, a city area. Yeah. So um, who knows? I mean uh, – I don't know about you, but for the mushrooms that we, we're going to talk about today, if you guys haven't guessed yet out there, listeners, <laughs> we're going to talk about weird mushrooms today.
1: Yeah. Um, and of course we can't cover all of them by any stretch of so imagination. Many. So we just, uh, yeah. we each pick three, yeah. uh, either specific mushrooms or sort of a, a general type of mushroom or a type of mushroom behavior. Yeah. And we're going to sort of have a, you know, a potpourri, uh, oh, sort nice. of episode.
4: <laughs> yeah. The, um, I, I, none of mine are poisonous. Did you choose any poisonous ones? Um, I well, almost chose the death cap, which is the most poisonous one. And oh, I, yeah. um, I mean, there's varying levels of things you shouldn't do with the ones
1: that I'm going to talk about today. But the, the the toxicity doesn't really factor heavily into the areas I discuss uh, one of them is definitely not poisonous because okay. it's a, it's an edible mushroom. Yeah. Um, the others, it's kind of, they, it encompasses a number of different types. But, but this is the kind of thing where if, if you guys like, uh, us talking about, uh, mushrooms, we can come back and do more. Yeah. We can do a one I guess just focusing could just on poisons. We do a series on yeah.
4: various mushrooms. Oh, poisonous mushrooms mm-hmm. would be good. Well, I have to say, uh, this reminded me of an episode we almost did a, I think almost a year ago. Uh, to this week, which was uh, our episode about wolfsbane. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it reminded me of aconite poisoning, mm-hmm. um, reading through these descriptions of all of the mushrooms. And really, I had no idea how in-depth a field mycology is and how precise it is. Yeah. And the entries for these mushrooms were very, very detailed. I mean, so detailed that we could do an entire episode just on one species. So for these entries, we really had to, I think, boil them down to their essence. No, again, no pun intended. We're not actually boiling the mushrooms down here. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're fascinating. Um, and it's just this thing that we, we all kind of just live with. <laughs> yeah. And you know what I mean? Like they're everywhere and we, we buy keep- them at the grocery store and we eat them. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, they're, they're, there's an endless variety of them and they all do these like, very different things and have incredibly complex compounds inside mm-hmm. of them, and I feel like we're only like as a as a scientific society like on the tip of understanding fungal uh, growth
1: yeah i mean there's there is so much diversity out there, we keep discovering new species uh, to the point where i'm I can only give like a rough estimate uh right now, but essentially we're looking at uh 100,000 different fungi species Jeez. and of those we're looking at in the neighborhood of 14,000 mushrooms. And again, that is that's a number that's constantly changing. I yeah. looked at numbers from a few years back and they were significantly less than that. So, it's uh it's an amazing world. And you know, they are so they're so weird, they're so alien. It's no wonder that you you can find conspiracy theorists who think they came from space.
4: Yeah. Um, well, especially when you see ones that look like a xenomorph. Egg. Yeah. <laughs> or I, um, I can I mean, uh, going back to our Wolfsbane episode, right? Like, imagine all of the folklore that sprang up out of all the various species of mushroom. Because they're so different looking. If you didn't, you know, have a, a broader scientific understanding of them, you wouldn't even classify them as being the same thing.
1: Yeah, like uh, one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, monsters from uh, the Dungeons and Dragons universe are the Myconids, which of course uh, are mushroom people that Can live in the Did you do underdog.
4: a Monster Science episode on them?
1: No, we did a Monster Science on the uh, mushrooms of Matanga, oh, okay. uh, which was a, a toho horror film about uh, this these spores that turn people into walking mushrooms. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually a really creepy movie, totally different vibe than most of the Toho films. Well, so, uh, full
4: disclosure audience, the reason why I proposed that we do an episode on Weird, weird Mushrooms is I'm, I'm working on like a horror story right now that the basis uh, is, is about mushrooms and spores and mycology. And so mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I'd, I'd like to know a little bit more about this. And I think it would be a good topic for our listeners. So here we are. Um, one of the things that I just want to bring up before we dive into the individual ones the fungi as an organism essentially has a parasitic lifestyle. And that's something I think we, we forget about. We see our mushrooms in the grocery store wrapped in plastic and we just Mm -hmm. go, Oh, that's, that's a, a lot of people just think it's a vegetable, right? Right. Um, but they absorb soluble nutrients through cell membranes. That's how they subsist. Mm -hmm. And, uh, with, together with bacteria, as you said, they're responsible for the decay of organic matter. Now, some estimate that 25% of the biomass on the entire planet is fungi. Oh, huh. that's a lot. Yeah. So I mean, it's worth go mycologists. It's it's worth uh studying further and us knowing a lot more about these especially when you get into the health benefits that we'll talk about.
1: Yeah. So uh without further ado, let's go ahead and kick things off. I believe you uh, have our first uh, mushroom uh, of the episode. Yeah, and this is uh the one that is most well known for its
4: health benefits.
1: It's called the Reishi
4: mu- mushroom.
1: Oh, and I want to jump in here real quick and just uh tell everybody that on the landing page for this episode, I'm going to have a, a picture of each one each that we're one. discussing. So That's if you great. start wondering about it, just go to stuff to Yeah, and, and you'll be
4: able to see what each one of these looks like, especially because we we chose some really bizarre looking ones. The Reishi isn't as well known for being bizarre looking, although it is kind of weird looking. It's mostly known for its life-extending properties. In fact, they've been used medicinally for at least 2,000 years because they have a reputation for promoting health and longevity. Uh, reishi, I believe, is the name for it in Japan. It's also called the lingji mushroom in China. Now, you may uh, recognize these. Uh, they're kind of a deep reddish brown. They're shaped sort of like saucers. The upper surface of them looks like it's lacquered when it gets wet um and because they have this glossy look some people call them varnished conks hmm. and i went what's a conk well a conk is a mushroom that has pores instead of gills yeah. um and again i'd never heard of them referred
1: to as gills before so that's a nice creepy metaphor
4: there as well
1: i have to say this one kind of looks uh like they might be leathery human ears
4: yeah well, well uh, you know what's funny is um I, I don't know if you've ever played this video game before but there's a video game called battleborn Uh, and my wife is addicted to it and Mm -hmm. I play it with her a lot anyways. So there's this guy who's a living mushroom person and he, uh, his head is like a a mushroom cap and his head looks like a reishi mushroom Mm -hmm. and he's the healer in the game. Ah. So he's the one who like, he blasts the other characters with mushroom spores Uh and makes them feel better. And then he can take off his mushroom cap and throw it down on the ground and it acts as like a healing area buffer or something like that. So I I have to assume that the people who made Battleborn were inspired by the reishi mushroom when they came up with this character. Anyways, the reishi, they grow up to be eight inches to or around 20 centimeters in diameter. You usually find them in temperate forests. These are moist areas, sometimes in Asia, Europe, South America, and the U S and they typically attach themselves to trees. So similar to what I was just talking about with the tree in my front yard, They're probably feeding off of the decay on these trees. Uh, So here's the deal. Why is it a weird mushroom? Well, there's actually something to this life extending property thing. This isn't just like a, a, you know, folklore myth. Um, they are prepared as teas or as infusions. You can also get them as capsules or tinctures, and you can even eat them in candy, chocolate bars and coffee blends. I was thinking to myself that a reishi coffee blend might be good, Hmm. but I don't know what a reishi
1: mushroom tastes like yet. Uh, yeah, I guess it would taste like a mushroom tea, which is, is not, is generally not that pleasant. (laughs) And in in my opinion, I don't know. Probably Uh, a little bit. Personal taste may, may vary. Yeah. Um, Now you see, so when I went to do
4: research on this one, you see a lot of advertisements or articles pop up about them in kind of new agey style publications about these life extending properties, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because we are talking about traditional medicine and supplements here, so. Exactly. They used to be pretty rare, but there's new cultural cultivation advances that make them more widely available. Um, but. The reviews of science literature do indicate that most of the medicinal claims for these mushrooms can be validated. So let's just talk briefly about what's the science behind them. Well, research has found that because of unique compounds in these mushrooms, they can stimulate our brain neurons, search and destroy cancer cells, and prevent the development of fat cells in obese individuals. So that alone is like, it's a pretty broad summary, but Mm -hmm. wow. Um, And they've done lots of studies on mice and humans, but studies on mice have shown that these mushrooms may also have therapeutic effects on asthma, allergies, autoimmune diseases, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, diabetes, liver failure and more. Now, it all boils down to these three compounds that are in the reishi mushroom that give it its health benefits. And this is this is what I why I said earlier, like. These mushrooms are just incredibly complex uh, in their organic matter. Uh, so the three are polysaccharides. Now, these have anti-aging effects because they prevent abnormal blood vessel formation in our bodies. They also boost immune system function. There's also triterpenes that protect the liver. Uh, they lower our blood pressure and our cholesterol, and they prevent platelet clumping in the blood that leads to heart attacks or strokes. They also fight allergic responses that are triggered by histamines and indicate anti-cancer activity. Now, the last uh, compound is called the Ganoderma lucidum peptide. We've got a lot of Latin in this episode yeah. because uh, mycology really loves its Latin. Now, that's a protein that has strong antioxidant characteristics that are still being studied. So there's a lot going on here with this reishi mushroom. Uh, There's other studies that indicate that it can reduce the size and growth rate of tumors, both in human and animal trials. Uh, in fact, it's most dramatic in cases of colorectal cancer. However, I do want to qualify that statement with there are other studies that dispute the use of these mushrooms for treating cancer. So it's, it's kind of up in the air right now and it requires more research. But some oncologists have concerns that the mushroom's antioxidant properties may actually interfere with chemotherapy drugs. Huh. So yes, it may have anti-cancer properties, but it may also interfere with other therapy for cancer um, Interesting. these mushrooms are like a mini first aid kit like it seems like they're just this great thing that you should take every day you know yeah although there's worth noting you are not in the pocket of big fungus no big Raishi mm-hmm. uh does not uh support the show i don't know i haven't done an ad read yet for this episode maybe it's <laughs> there was a raishicom and i do have to admit that when i was doing research for this i saw a lot of sites that were like Hey, buy your reishi supplements here, get, um, get the teas, get the chocolate bars, whatever. <laughs> so there's totally a business that thrives around this, but there is some science to it. Huh. Well, actually a lot of science to it.
1: So what do you have? Well, uh, my first one here is not, uh, not a specific mushroom, though I will mention a couple of different specific ones as we go, but, uh, discussing the, uh, topic of, of bioluminescent mushrooms. Oh yeah. So. Um, I'm sure everyone's quite well acquainted with the uh, the mushrooms elevated status in the uh, iconography of uh, stoner blacklight posters. Oh yeah, right? totally. Um,
4: I, I'm I'm thinking of like every you know I'm a metal fan. Every sleep metal album mm-hmm. poster has like mushrooms at the bottom of it yeah yeah they kind of, kind of engage
1: in, in that kind of uh yeah. iconography for sure it's a, yeah. so you'll often see it's it's either the the caterpillar from uh house oh, yeah. in wonderland atop a mushroom or i've seen like bong smoking wizards with mushrooms i've yep. seen aliens gray aliens and dashikis with mushrooms um and of course they all glow when you have the black light on sure, them. but yeah. uh But there are, of course, actual mushrooms out there and actual, uh, you know, beyond mushrooms, just fungi that are bioluminescent. Uh, and we keep discovering more of them. Uh, now there are, there are rarity within just the overall fungal population, uh, with only about, uh, it's 70 plus species out of, uh, again, the 100,000 fungi species, 14,000 odd mushroom species. And, um, they emit uh, light twenty four hours a day, but you're only going to be able to really observe them at night. Now, some of the more common uh, species here include the jack-o'-lantern uh, mushroom or oh. um, Amphilatus, uh, which you will find in North America, as well as the honey mushroom, and uh, they belong to two uh, separate lineages here. Uh, there's another there, there's another one that made the the rounds a few years back called Mycena chlorophus and that's another glowing. Um, uh, mushroom specifically a mushroom in that case so three quarters of the glowing mushrooms belong to the mycena genus uh and a group of mushrooms uh and this is a group of mushrooms that de- decompose organic matter to feed themselves like 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 a, a yeah. lot of uh, fungi as we've discussed
4: um so i know you and i share in common that we're both playing fallout 4
1: mm-hmm. have, oh yeah, yeah. you've
4: gotten to the point yet where you find the glowing mushrooms yeah they're popping up everywhere yeah and they're i mean i guess like in the premise of Fallout 4, it's probably because of radiation. Yeah, just like fossil. the glowing feral
1: ghouls. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, yeah, you you, you find plenty of glowing fungi um, without nuclear fallout having to right. play a Yeah.
4: Um, they even use them in the game, I think, at one point as like, there's like a community that uses them as the lights in their underground community. Like they have the mushrooms mm-hmm. and like lanterns.
1: Yeah, I think um, what is it? The the children of the atom do that. That's but, it. Yeah, and and I'm I'm actually running a, a Dungeons and Dragons campaign right now that takes place in the Underdark. And uh, so there's a lot of, of bioluminescent mushrooms. mushrooms in that because yeah. you got to, you know, you might have everybody in the party with dark vision, but otherwise yeah. you need to have a little light for people to see. Yeah, some low light. Yeah, for low light vision. So you say, oh well, there's some luminescent mushroom right here. <laughs> <laughs> Now, what kind of glow are we talking about? Generally, it's a yellowish-greenish light with a wavelength of 520 to 530 nanometers. Not all of the parts of the mushrooms necessarily glow. In some species, it's only the cap or the gills. In others, it's the stem. In some species, the mushrooms don't really glow at all, but it's the fine thread-like filaments, mm. the mycelium uh, from which the mushrooms develop that grows brightly. And specifically, we're talking about a Luciferin, Luciferes, uh, mediated reaction here. Now, the, basically what we're talking about here, uh, these are light emitting compounds that you'll find mm-hmm. in many creatures like fireflies. Of course, they're named, uh, sort of named after Lucifer. The, yeah. Which means a yeah. shining one or light bearer. It makes sense because most people find them underground. Yeah. Yeah. With the devil. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so this is, a, this is just a, a common, uh, bioluminescent, uh, Uh, Property, And so that's what's at heart here. It's Mm -hmm. nothing strange and alien and out of keeping with other glowing creatures. Yeah. Now, according to San Francisco State University biology professor Dennis Desjardins, luminescent species of fungi come from about 16 different lineages, which suggests that uh, luminescence evolved at a single point and some species later lost the ability to glow. So, in other words, a single early origin of uh, fungal luminescence. Okay. Okay. So why, but what, like, why would a mushroom evolve to glow to begin with? Like, what evolutionary advantage is there to that? Well, that's that's uh, interesting. There a number of mysteries still remain. Okay, Uh Desjardins believes that uh, some fungi probably uh, glow in order to attract nocturnal animals. Ah, and these okay. animals, then you know, it's dark; they're glowing. Yeah. The animals come over to see what the glowings about, and then they end up helping to disperse the spores. Yep. Uh, and therefore, the species, and this is especially adaptive in closed canopy forest, because there's you're not going to have winds blowing through there, uh, you know, crazy breezes to dis- to uh, to distribute the spores. Well, as we've learned here on stuff to blow your
4: mind, like any good parasite, they have an absolutely bizarre way of reproducing. Yeah, that are complicated. Mm-hmm. I should say rather than bizarre, but yeah, that sounds like totally in line with what we know about other parasites.
1: Yeah. Now, another theory is that in some cases they glow to attract the predator of insects that eat the mushrooms huh. so it's kind of a defensive mechanism and then in other cases we just don't know like we're, we're continually finding new bioluminescent mushrooms and uh and some of them may have a different game in play yeah huh
4: fascinating now i'm now i'm like really curious if you can really light up a room with bioluminescent mushrooms in a lantern probably not it'd still be pretty gloomy. Well, it, it would be like would trying work in to, like a goth nightclub, but mm-hmm. probably not an office space.
1: <laughs> it, it would. Have, it would be the same sort of situation as trying to fill a, lan- a lantern with lightning bugs, yeah, and, and light right. your way. Or, uh, or if you're in uh, the original Riddick movie, like bioluminescent uh, grubs. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, uh we're
4: gonna take a quick break, but when we get back, we're gonna talk about the puffball mushroom.
2: That's oracle.com slash strategic, oracle.com slash strategic.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed a hundred thousand miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
5: Father's Day is coming. A day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us. To crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian cocktail maker, it's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit dot com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand.
3: Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
1: All right, we're back. Uh now this one is this one is a fun one because I have a lot of fond memories of this because when I was a when I was a kid, I was in Boy Scouts and it seemed like we were always having our scout trips out to this area that had a bunch of cows. Oh yeah. So, there was something about the puffballs were always growing up oh, around the cows because of the manure. I don't know. I mean, I know sir, I certainly know that some mushrooms including uh, psychedelic mushrooms depend yeah. on cow manure and that's where you go to find them but uh in in this case i think i don't know they were just growing in the same fields with them and so everyone got a big kick out of stepping on the the puff balls and or stepping on the dried cow patties right because the spores Mm-hmm. Puff out that's why they're called called uh
4: puffballs. I thought they were called puffballs because they looked like these little puffy clouds uh-huh well that's when they yeah. grow up. they're actually I would say of the mushrooms we're talking about today, these are probably the ones that people are most visually familiar with yeah, um they do kind of look like the mushrooms that we you know the just generic mushrooms that you buy at the grocery store and add to your salad or whatever, but mm-hmm. they're sort of like a bigger mutated version of them um and yeah, like I said, they're called puffballs not because of how they look but because. The spores puff out of them in a cloud when they're hit, even by falling raindrops. That's nuts to me. Oh, so wow. any kind of impact uh emits these spores. So, again, reproduction. Uh They're found worldwide, but when they desiccate, they release their spores when they're agitated. And only one puffball species can produce psychoactive effects. You might be wondering why I'm bringing that up. Well, it's important to a case study that I'm going to bring up in a little bit here. Um, there are a lot of different varieties of puffball mushrooms. They all belong in the Bassi Diomycata division. And they all have the following characteristics in common. They do not grow an open cap with the spore bearing gills. So that's why they have to, you know, emit their spores when they're, when they're agitated. Instead, the spores are grown internally and the mushroom develops an aperture or it splits open to release the spores outward. Puffballs are a variety of sizes. Some can be as small as a marble and others can be as big as a basketball. I saw a picture of a guy holding one that was as big as a basketball and I was I was kind of shocked by that. Um but they're white and round. They they look a lot like what you think mushrooms look like. Sometimes they're smooth and other times they have large warts or or even like little spikes on their surface and there's very little stem so they're pretty close to the ground. The term puffball refers to three genera of fungi, Calvadia, Calbovista, and Lycoperdon. Now, Lycoperdon is the one that I really want to focus on today, um, but really make sure, so for instance, like if you're out there, like Robert, you just said you saw them when you were, you know, going to look at cows and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So some people go and forage for puffballs and they, you know, by all accounts, it's, it's uh, edible and... Uh, it, we did actually an episode here at How Stuff Works about foraging in the woods for various foods. So I'm just going to leave you with this disclaimer: like you should really make sure you know exactly yes. what kind of mushroom you're picking before you just go out into the woods and grab a mushroom and throw it into a salad or yeah. pop it in your mouth. Yeah,
1: don't don't go picking odd mushrooms based on anything we've told you here. Yeah. Um, if if you're going to engage in that, make sure you are uh, following in the footsteps of a, of a true expert. And the reason why, especially with puffballs, is because
4: you can get quite sick, even from just breathing in their spores. So this is the main mushroom that's responsible for something called lycoperdonosis. This is a really rare respiratory illness that's caused by inhaling mushroom spores. And this is the case study that I wanted to mention to you. Uh, in 1994, eight teenagers in southeastern Wisconsin had inhaled and chewed the spores of puffball mushrooms at a party. Now, uh, according to the study that I read, there were no other illicit drugs that were found at this party, but I, it's hard for me to believe that these kids weren't eating these mushrooms because they thought they would have some psychoactive properties. That's why I mentioned earlier, there's mm-hmm. only one of these uh, that has any kind of properties like that. Now, three of these people reported nausea within six to 13 hours. Within three to seven days, all of the patients had a cough, fever, shortness of breath, muscle pain, and fatigue. Five of them were hospitalized. Two had to be intubated. They had to have a tube put down their throat. Three had to undergo various kinds of lung biopsies to figure out what was going on with them. This revealed that their lungs were inflamed, and they had formed yeast-like structures in between the, the flesh of their lungs that were like mushroom spores. But there were no fungal cultures found in their lungs. So the spores got in there and and either replicated or just were clogging up their lungs or something. It, it really didn't make them feel well. Uh so I really want to warn you about this. This is like this is a species that seems harmless. We see it all the time, and yet like it can make people quite sick. At the other hand, this is very rare. Um, the people were given corticosteroids. Uh, They got better. Four of them received antifungal therapy with drugs. All of them recovered between a week and a month. Uh, But despite this, there isn't a lot of evidence for what in the literature was referred to as the efficacy of using antifungal agents to treat this disease when you breathe in these spores. So they don't know if it really works. No. And in fact... Uh, there, other than this, there's only been three other recorded cases of this. So, uh, two of them were in children and one in an adolescent. And remember, these, in 1994, these were teenagers. So it seems to be something that affects younger people more. And I just want to point out, too, like, yes, I'm, I'm focusing in on the puffball here because it has these rare cases of this disease, right? And they make people quite ill. Mm-hmm. But, in general, the spores of mushrooms may contain mycotoxins, okay? Uh, there are several diseases that are associated with inhaling fungal spores, including toxic pneumonitis, hypersensitivity pneumonitis, tremors, chronic fatigue syndrome, kidney failure, and even cancer. So, you know, before again, before you go out into the woods and you just start picking up mushrooms and breathing them in or chopping them up and putting them in a salad, you really want to make sure you know what you're getting. Um Make sure you've either got an expert with you or, I don't know, you're consulting a book or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just consider fungi have a parasitic lifestyle, like I said. So imagine this, like you breathe in their spores. Of course, when they get inside your lungs, their cell membranes are going to start absorbing nutrients through your lungs.
1: So yeah, they've ended up in the wrong place, but that doesn't mean they're, they're not going to attempt to carry out their basic program. Yeah, absolutely. So Puffball. It's a cool, weird kind of. It reminds me of
4: Jigglypuff, uh, mm-hmm. the the Pokemon. I I have to imagine that that Pokemon was probably uh, uh designed after the Puffball, <laughs> but uh but yeah, it's a cute little weird mushroom, but you don't want to necessarily inhale those spores. Right.
1: <laughs> well, uh if, if if you're wondering, well, what what mushrooms can I eat? Well, the one I'm going to talk about, you can definitely eat. Um, it is. The edible oyster mushroom or uh. Pleurotus austriatus. And this, uh, I mean, I think a lot, most of us have had this before. Yeah. Oyster mu- mushroom, you'll typically find it in various stir fries. It's delicious. But the really cool thing about it and what I'm going to talk about here is that, uh, this is essentially a carnivorous mushroom. So before it ends up on your, your grocery store shelf, it's out there eating things. Now, I mean, obviously, we eat things that eat other things. Sure, unless yeah. you're just eating straight up, you know, plants that are absorbing um, um, solar radiation. But and but uh, the the thing here is that uh, you don't necessarily think about what the mushrooms are consuming, no. and you don't think, oh, they are essentially catching and consuming uh, live nematodes <laughs> and or spiders. Wow. Yeah. So there's um. So when you eat them, you're getting a little bit of spider. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it kind of comes back around to when you eat your food, how, how far back are you going to try and trace the, yeah. the heritage of your, your nutrients? <laughs> um, you know, it's going to go to something dead at some point, right? But, uh. Yeah, this
4: isn't like, um, I'm thinking of the fig wasp, which you and I have both researched before, yeah. you know, which, which,
1: which ends up in most figs that you eat. But of course, insects wind up in most foods that you eat. So yeah. what can you do? Yeah. Um, in, in this particular case, though, uh, Essentially, the idea is that the mushrooms will eat these nematodes or these spiders, uh, probably as a way to supplement low levels of nitrogen available, available in the wood. Okay. Uh, because they tend to grow on like the sides of trees and such. Yeah. They have that, uh, you know, they look like little oysters, like little, like, uh, like little overhangs that, uh, you oh, know, yeah, like a, know a gnome might about. hang under to, uh, get away from the, uh, from the rain. You're hiding from the rain. Yeah. yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So according to a 2015 study from uh, ARC Imaging Center at Monash University and uh, Brickbeck College, published in PLOS Biology, the shrooms employ special membrane attack complex paraffin-like proteins, or MACPF proteins, to punch holes in the cells of its prey. And what's crazy here is this is the very tactic that human immune cells use against bacterial invaders. So, like...
4: I'm trying to imagine this so a spider crawls across this and these these
1: cells start poking tiny little holes through it. Well, the 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 better example is probably with the with the nematodes. Okay. Um and and there's actually a whole classification of nematophagous fungi. And this covers nematode eating fungi in general. Okay. Uh they often use um mycelial trap structures or spores to trap the uh the, the nematodes or they use special branching structures known as hyphal tips to attack nematode eggs and cysts okay uh so the yeah they're actively engaging in I, i've seen some write-ups even go so far as to say they are they're hunting and killing nematodes wow they're hunting and killing spiders and, and in some cases as well uh and it's and it goes beyond just like mere grotesque curiosity here because uh, there are potential medical applications here. Uh, learning how to to dampen immune response in people with autoimmune disease, stopping uh, listeria escaping our immune cells, and preventing malaria from infecting the liver. Those are just a few possible um, uh, treasures we can unlock with the uh, the fungal key here.
4: Yeah, it seems like the MACPF that you you mentioned earlier, those proteins. The, the functionality of those could mm-hmm. sort of be reverse engineered for our benefit.
1: Yeah, that's the, that's the hope that, uh, that researchers have. But even if we never get there, it is, it is fascinating to think that this, this mushroom that we love is essentially, uh, feeding itself in part on nematodes, which nobody yeah. really wants to think about the role of nematodes, uh, right. in their diets. But of course there are other animals that eat nematodes as well. So yeah. what can you do?
0: Some people maybe. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by eBay Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
5: Father's Day is coming. A day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us. To crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian Cocktail Maker? It's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker. $50 $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit dot com backslash father to get $50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you, Bartesian premium cocktails on demand.
3: Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
5: Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com
4: This next mushroom is the one that I have the hardest time looking at pictures of. And so we mentioned earlier we're going to have pictures of all of these on StuffToBlowYourMind.com You should definitely go look at what this thing looks like. this one's beautifully bizarre. Yeah. They're called the bleeding tooth mushroom. Uh, And the reason why is because, well, it basically looks like uh, a a white mushroom that is bleeding all over the place. (laughs) It has little droplets. Uh, Basically, it's a younger specimens of this mushroom. They, quote, bleed a bright red juice. And here's the crazy thing. That juice has anticoagulant properties. Now, the blood itself, it's not actual blood, uh, isn't because the mushroom's damaged. That's just what it really looks like. It's a its a red sap that emerges from this mushroom because of high root pressure. When they get older, the pressure eases and the fungus turns brown. But they're about 3 to 8 centimeters in diameter. Some are round, but more often than not, they're oval or maybe multi-lobed. They're white or a pale pink. They become deeper pink and then brown as they decay. But yeah, I mean, it basically looks like, uh, it's the stigmata of mushrooms. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a mushroom. It's, it's a kind of bizarrely shaped mushroom too. It's a little pinkish, a little whitish, but there's just little dots of bl- what looks like blood coming out of this thing. Sometimes
1: so much so that it drips down the side of these mushrooms. They're just utterly. Creepy looking. Yeah, the thing they really remind me of, if we have any Mystery Science Theater 3000 fans out there, uh, there was a film, a 1965 film, uh, titled Attack of the The Eye Creatures. It had two V's in the title. <laughs>
0: I don't <laughs> one, know that one. Yeah,
1: it's wonderfully bad film and it, it involves a number of these shambling eye creatures and they uh-huh. look like bleeding tooth mushrooms. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, they're real weird. Um,
4: they were first described by an American mycologist. In 1912, his name was Howard James Banker, and they are found in North America, Europe, Iran, and Korea. In Britain, it's mainly known as a woodland mushroom, so they they mostly grow near coniferous trees. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not poisonous, despite how bizarre they look. Yeah, it
1: looks like the last mushroom you would, why would you put intentionally it in eat.
4: Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So one of the nicknames that it has, especially in Britain, is strawberries and cream. Oh, and well, OK. That's the last <laughs> thing that I would call it. It doesn't at all look appetizing. Um There's another nickname for it is devil's tooth. Um But, yeah, they're not poisonous, but they are pretty bitter. They have an accumulation of an element called cesium-137 in them, which doesn't make them very pleasant to eat. Uh, their formal name is hyd high- Again, here we are with the Latin. Let me see if I can get this. Hydenolum pecky, I believe, is what it is. But so, yeah, they go by a number of names. That's the formal name. Devil's tooth, strawberries and cream or bleeding tooth. Now, here's the thing. Remember, I said it had anticoagulant properties in it. So this. Blood, this fake blood, it actually has something in it called atromentin, which is an effective anticoagulation that's similar to heparin. It is antibacterial against Streptococcus pneumoniae. the this is the main bacteria that causes pneumonia in okay. people. Uh, and you can even use this stuff to stimulate smooth muscles. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but it was in the literature. And it causes apoptosis in certain leukemia cells, which we've talked about apoptosis before Mm -hmm. uh, when we've uh, mentioned MDMA on the show before. So uh, MDMA also has apoptosis properties, but this is specific to leukemia. Uh, It might be a way to treat it. All these properties were discovered in 1965 by a team of researchers uh, published in the Journal of Pharmaceutical Science. So we've known for a while now that it has these anticoagulant properties to it. Uh, the other thing that it made me think of was uh, when we've talked about bats before on the show mm-hmm. and how their saliva has anticoagulant properties in it.
1: I know. I love how that 65 article that you reference here, uh, it includes uh, mention of Hydenellum uh, diabolus. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, is that, uh, I'm wondering if, is that a a, 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 another species of it that is
2: diabolic
1: in nature? Or yeah. Or maybe, maybe that was an
4: earlier term for it? Or, yeah, maybe that was what its name was earlier. Uh, so from what I remember loosely from the notes was that Hydenellum pecky was named as such because there was a, a guy, a well-known mycologist with the last name Peck. Ah. Uh, and this, it was like sort of like an honor to him by naming it after him. But I wonder if maybe Diabolus was what its name was first. Or maybe there's different, uh, difference between the devil's tooth and the bleeding tooth. Like they're, they're the same, uh, species, but different genera. I'm not a hundred percent sure about that. That, that is a good point that it it has a different name in there. But I believe they all have that same anticoagulant kind of seeping blood property to them. So. Yeah, if you see one of these, I mean, you could pop it in your mouth. It's going to taste pretty gross, but it's but, not going to kill yeah, you.
1: But absolutely do not <laughs> pop it yeah. in your mouth. Yeah, <laughs> Do not pop any mushrooms in your mouth because you heard us talking about them. But yeah, that too. Uh, now, so speaking of the devil, uh, we're going to get to our, our last uh, selection here. And again, with me, this is not a, a specific mushroom, but uh, a type of behavior, if you will, uh, yeah. a manifestation that you see. With uh, with mushrooms and fungi, and that is the fairy ring. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's lots of uh folklore that pops up out of the fairy ring. Oh yeah,
4: yep. and it shows up. Uh, gosh, it's in Shakespeare, right? Yeah, and it's in Dungeons and Dragons. It's, it's basically it's cultures two around the world. Most yeah. important literary achievements of humankind. Yeah, Shakespeare and Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah,
1: you've encountered it in in cultures around the world because essentially what we're talking fairy rings essentially just means strange circles. On the ground or in the ground that you yeah. find in nature. And, uh, we've, the causes we attribute, you know, fairies dancing around and around on the spot, or perhaps it's witches or mm-hmm. devils. Hey, maybe it's a UFO if you're look, using a modern interpretation of it. It's whatever, whatever the attributed supernatural cause. However, the basic idea is that some unseen force is causing the circle to manifest.
4: I want to say, have you ever seen, is it pronounced Haxon? I always get the pronunciation wrong because- This is the old devil worshipping film? Yeah, it has, a, yeah, it has mm-hmm. an umlaut over the A. Is it Hawkson? I'm not sure what the proper pronunciation mm-hmm. is of it, but yeah, it's, it's this old documentary about, uh, sort of the folklore around witches. It's yeah, like, I've never, never watched it, it in,
1: in full, but it has some wonderful images in it. Yeah. I, I wanna say that fairy rings show
4: up in that, but I might be wrong. Okay. But, but, but because of the reasons you just mentioned, because of the
1: idea that witches did like, uh, rituals that they danced around the fairy ring. Right. Now, absolutely no fairy rings are caused by fairies or aliens or the devil or the devil. Sorry, but that's the truth. Um, but there there are accounts of fairy rings that are that are not shroom related, not directly fungal related. Okay. Uh, so I ran across one, for instance, from Nambia. And there are apparently fairy rings here that are caused by termite constructed water traps. Uh, but, uh, other instances of fairy rings are definitely tied to fungal activity. Okay. And, uh, and not the dancing myconids that you encounter in Disney's Fantasia. Right. <laughs> right, yeah. So there are essentially two varieties of fungal fairy rings then. The first is more mysterious. And I don't think I've ever seen one of these in person, but this is just a circle of dark green grass in a lawn or meadow. Okay. Okay. And with surrounding grass, it's somewhat lighter. Mm-hmm. The culprit here is subsurface fungal mycelia that cause the darker color due to increased nitrogen produced by the fungus. Interesting. And you also find um, other fungi that cause an acrotic ring of dead vegetation due to nitrogen depletion. Right, right. Which you know, again
4: mm-hmm. back to the parasitic aspect of fungi. Okay.
1: Right. And the, the mycelia is just kind of threading through underneath the grass. So you can imagine where you look at this and you're like, why is this grass greener? Why is this grass deader? Yeah. It must be some sort of supernatural force. Um and then of course there's the more overt form, and that's where you have actual surface mushrooms, identifiable mushrooms that are lined up uh, more or less in a rough circle. Yeah, You know what I just
4: realized is uh in my head Fairy rings combine two of the mushrooms you've mentioned today, the fairy rings and then the phosphorescent mushrooms.
1: But I guess they don't necessarily. Right. They don't glow. I did not. In in my research, I did not run across uh, a a species of mushroom that was both. But uh, but I'm not sure Uh, it's it's possible, as you'll see when I uh, describe, you know, what exactly is going on here. Okay. so in either case. Um, whether we're talking about subsurface mushrooms, surface mushrooms, uh, the cause of the circle has nothing to do with fairy kingdom and everything to do with spore dispersal. So this is this is a fabulous uh, uh, model here. So you can start with a single spore. All right, it lands in a field yeah. and then it grows. Okay, it eventually produces uh, a mushroom, uh, or or at least it reaches its adult form and then it spreads out more spores. Uh, and then this causes the growing colony to spread only outward, since the inner circle. Uh, is the territory that it's Uh ravaged, okay? This is a, there are no more nutrients there, so it can only spread out. So it's kind of like- So theoretically, the, the circle is gonna get larger. Yes, the circle gets larger and larger, and the inside of the circle is, is depleted of Got the it. nutrients that, it doesn't mean that the grass is all dead. It right. just means that just there's the nothing nitrogen. else. Yeah, nothing else that these, uh, the, this particular fungi can feed off of. So the circle continues to grow and grow. And, uh, and sometimes there are additional circles, so you'll actually get, uh, you know, like figure eights and whatnot. Yeah, I was thinking like, I wonder if there's like a Venn diagram one out there somewhere. Maybe. Sheesh. But I, I love this because. The wonders of nature. <laughs> but I love this one because, It, it makes me think of, say, what if you had a, a, like a sci-fi or fantasy scenario with, say, say, zombies or vampires, you know, whatever your your breed of destructive monster that reproduces rapidly might be, yeah. you could have a similar scenario where it starts ah. at one point and then it begins to spread outward, but it's spreading uh, as, a, as a ring because it has to feed and it cannot sur- continue to survive in the area that it has ravished. That would, all right,
4: uh, producers of the new movie Rings that's coming out, I mm-hmm. think, pretty soon, right? They didn't pay us to say this, but that would be a good Spin on that mythos. Yeah. The idea of the, uh, the girl who crawls out of the television and kills people. Yeah. Uh, her ring forms in like an actual geographic area as she kills everybody around. <laughs> uh, only people in that ring-like area can watch the video and uh, it grows further and further. Or you know what show it would, it would work really well on? What was that? The strain.
1: Yeah, yeah, it would. Yeah, that's it, a good theory. It reminds me a lot too of the, uh, these the creatures known as the, the, the shrunk in um, in R Scott Baker's books. Oh yeah. Because yeah. these are these are kind of the orcs of uh, his world except they're they seem to be just they're particularly bred, particularly created to just ravage the land. Yeah. And so I get imag- a and they breed rapidly. So they would be a good model for this. Like they're in one area and then they spread outward in this in this ring of desolation. You know, I like to think that I'm I'm
4: There's still obviously a lot for me to read, uh, but I like to think that I've read a lot of horror, and Mm -hmm. I think you have too. I can't really think of a ton of mushroom-based horror, and yet it seems to me that there's something fundamentally creepy about mushrooms and just their formations or just their
1: life process in general off the top of my head, I cannot think of a good one. Maybe I'll yeah. think of one after we go off uh, off offline here. Maybe you out there have one
4: you're you're screaming at your uh podcast right now and saying, "Robert, Christian, what you forgot
1: about whatever I mean well, the, the most obvious one is that uh, there's the fungi from Ugo. I believe that the Amigo yeah. and Lovecraft stories are technically funguses. Oh, is that right but, uh, okay, but, okay. But, but but that's the only example that's instantly coming to mind. so there may yeah. be some other great ones out there. yeah, maybe there are. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to have, go ahead and close it out here. Again, we could only discuss a few different mushrooms, a few different types of uh, of mushroom behavior if you will. So, uh if you have some other amazing uh mycological specimens that you would like us to discuss, yeah. let us know. Especially if you're a
4: mycologist, we'd love to hear from you. I'd be really curious yeah. what uh what your favorites are. That and like what what's the daily life of a mycologist like? It just sounds It sounds uh, charming to just kind of go around and identify mushrooms and examine them and, and write about them.
1: Indeed. With With lots of life, And occasionally you get to, yeah, name them. Yeah. So, hey, check out stuff dot com. That's where you'll find all the podcasts. You'll find blog posts. You'll find videos. Uh, you'll find all sorts of content, including links out to our various social media accounts. Yeah, we are on Facebook,
4: Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. We post lots of things to those channels, not just uh, the podcasts that you're listening to, but also articles that we write, uh, videos that we write or star in, and lots of other stuff that we find in our... Travels across the internet when we find bizarre science oddities, and we want you to know about them. As I mentioned earlier, I take pictures of weird mushrooms in the dog park sometimes and post them to our Facebook
1: page. Yes, yeah. and hey, you can too. That's a great place to share them. And you can also send your weird mushroom photos, your mushroom horror suggestions, what have you, to blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. <laughs>
2: Hello,
4: iHeart listener. We have a confession to make. Both iHeart and this commercial you're listening to right now would probably sound a heck of a lot better on the new Roku Pro Series TV. It's got side-firing speakers that fill your room with sound, Dolby Atmos audio that puts you right in the middle of the entertainment, and the ability to pair seamlessly with your home theater sound systems that already have surround sound and booming bass. If all that sounds too good to be true, it'll sound even better on the new Roku Pro Series. Your hearing isn't better. Your TV is.